Father, that's the cry of our heart this morning, that you would be our vision. Your face would be all that we see. Your glory would be all that we seek. That your voice would be all that we hear. And Father, we know that as we come in this room this morning, there is an enemy that wants to distract us in every way. Who wants our ears to be deaf to what you have to speak. Who wants our eyes blinded from what you want us to see. Who wants our minds distracted from what you want us to know. And who wants our hearts darkened by what you want us to believe. So Lord, we ask that you would help us to tune out every secondary superficial distraction to see you and you alone, to hear you and you alone, to know you and you alone. God, help us to hear from you today through your word. So Lord, will you speak to us today words that will edify this gathered congregation of believers and bring glory to the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, sanctify us in the truth of your word. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. Speak it to our hearts today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And as you find your seats this morning, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bible. James chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning, wrapping up James 3 today. And uh, really excited uh, to be able to um, kick off our time together. Is there still music playing? Ain't nobody up here. There's a ghost in the room. All right, that's good. We'll roll with it. Um, is, uh, so uh, James chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. Verses 13 through 18 is what we're going to be looking at um, together. If you're a guest, my name's Taylor. So if you're across as lead pastor, we're honored to have you worshiping this morning. And man, I'm just going to say right out of the gate today, I, I am so fired up about everything that's happening here this morning. Um, we are at the end of the message today. I'm going to be laying out a really exciting initiative our church is stepping into in January. Um, at the end of our third worship gathering, we have several baptisms to celebrate today. Today, church family, we will celebrate our 50th baptism of the year. So we praise God uh, for new life in Jesus. Um, all, my, all my favorite teams won yesterday. So man, I'm just like firing on, on all cylinders this morning. Uh, James 3 is where we're going to be this morning looking at wise ambition that comes from seeking the Lord. Um, Tom Rayner is a, a church consultant. He's a ministry consultant. He was over Lifeway Christian Resources for many years. And several years ago on Twitter, he just threw out this really funny question. He was like, what is the, what's the silliest church disagreement that you have ever been a part of? And he was really looking for the like proverbial argument over the color of the carpet type stuff. And man, the internet did not fail to deliver um, to the point that he turned this into a blog post of 25 silly things that church members have fought over. Um, one church fought over whether or not they should use their land for a children's playground or for a cemetery. In another church, um, two deacons had a disagreement. One accused the other of sending an anonymous slanderous letter, and so they decided to handle their disagreement out in the parking lot. Um, there was uh, one church, they had to vote to decide if the women's restroom needed stall dividers. I'd say yes, was, I, I hope... <laughs> 
I hope the vote, I hope the vote was yes. Uh, one church debated. They took a vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. Uh, this was my personal favorite. We can have some fun at Grayson's expense because he's not here for a couple weeks. One church, uh, they had an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Um, you know, these are... <laughs> Of course, very, very serious, like eternity is on the line, types of conversations and conflicts and debates. And, you know, it's fun for us to laugh about this stuff, right? We look at this and we see the silliness of this. However, you know, I know there's probably people in this room, they're like, hey, it's fun to laugh about. But if you've actually been in one of those rooms when something like that is happening, you know it's not fun at all. And to really put this in perspective, Think about the insignificance of those types of things compared to the gravity of the fact that as we sit in this room today, while we sometimes debate these silly, superficial, secondary things, there are still two billion people globally who have yet to even hear the name of Jesus Christ. There are over 100,000 people in Beaufort County today who do not profess faith in Jesus Christ. And as silly as that seems, as insignificant as that seems, the reality we have to look at, church, is that every second you and I spend on some sort of secondary superficial disagreement is one moment less spent on fulfilling the Great Commission and sharing the name of Jesus Christ. Every moment we spend fighting one another is one moment less spent pushing back and driving back the darkness with the good news of Jesus Christ. When we get to James 3 this morning, there are two types of wisdom that James shows us we can live by. You and I can either live by the wisdom that comes from God, the wisdom from above, or we can live by the wisdom that comes from below. The wisdom that comes from God will lead to unity, it'll lead to harmony, it'll lead to working together as believers to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. But the wisdom that comes from below, it's going to leave us jealous, it's going to leave us fighting, it's going to leave us pursuing selfish ambition, and all of that is going to happen at the expense of the mission that Jesus has called us to fulfill. And what we're going to see from James chapter 3 this morning is that the wisdom that comes from God prompts holy ambition within the church. As followers of Jesus, it's not wrong to have ambitions. It's not wrong to have personal convictions and personal preferences and personal opinions. But when these things become our focus at the expense of the mission that God has given us, we can be confident that we have fallen off course. This is always a unique Sunday every year. Um, Thanksgiving is this coming Thursday, just in case that was off of anybody's um, radar this week. And, and so what we tend to do on this particular Sunday of the year is we try to pause and we cast some vision for the upcoming year because we know many of you, like my family, you'll start to travel this week and, and we might not see a number of you until after the first of the year. Basically, guys, it's 2024 already, right? Like we've got Thanksgiving this week and then it's gonna be Christmas before we know it. And what we're gonna do at the end of our message today is is lay out what we believe to be a wise and godly ambition for our church in the days ahead. If we seek the wisdom that's from above, it will prompt holy ambition within the church. And we want to pursue those holy ambitions. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to spend a few minutes here in James chapter 3 this morning. That's going to lead us into some vision for 2024. James 3, let's read verses 13 through 16. James asks, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and unspiritual and demonic. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So two types of wisdom. There is the wisdom from above. There is the wisdom from below. So two very simple points for us this morning from James chapter three. First, as followers of Jesus, we're called to reject the wisdom from below. Reject the wisdom from below. Verse 13, James asks the question, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, this is a little bit of a trick question because those who are truly wise are probably gonna be slow to raise their hand. It'd be kind of like if I asked the question this morning, who's the most humble person in this room? Raise your hand. How would we find out who the least humble people are? By the people who raise their hand. And, and true wisdom presents itself, James says, in humility. He says in the second half of verse 13, by his good conduct, pay attention to that, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The truly wise are marked by lives of humility, by their good conduct. So we don't just learn that somebody is wise because they claim to be wise. We don't learn that someone is wise just based on what they say. We see that someone is wise by paying attention to how they live. And this is really important because we're living in kind of this overload of information age where everybody wants to present themselves as an expert. Everybody has now a digital platform where we can immediately make our voices and our opinions known on a given subject. And we've got a lot of overnight kind of faux experts in a number of things. So you can be a complete novice in something, have no idea that something exists, but then, man, let somebody listen to a podcast series or watch a documentary or read a book or go to a weekend conference, and man, suddenly you're an expert. Um, someone came to me from the first service this morning who, who mentioned that their father was a doctor and has been operating for like 30 years and will literally have patients come to him and tell them what they want him to do based on what they've seen in YouTube videos. And so, so we live in a culture where, man, everybody thinks they're an expert and everybody really needs to know Everybody needs everybody else to know how much of an expert that they are. And so in all of these conflicting voices, like where, where you constantly see the person, how many times have you seen an Instagram post or a blog post or an article that starts with these words, here's what blank isn't telling you about this. I'm the person that knows everything and has what the rest of the world is withholding from you. Whose voice do we listen to? Whose voice do we listen to? James shows us this morning there are ways we can distinguish the wisdom that's coming from below and the wisdom that's coming from above. We see first from the wisdom from below that it's marked by bitter jealousy. The wisdom from below is marked by bitter jealousy. If you wanna know who in your life is truly wise, don't just listen to what they say, pay attention to how they live. So again, don't just listen to a person's relational advice, Pay attention to their relationships. If they need a new friend group every six months, maybe not the person to go to for relational advice. Don't just listen to someone's marriage counsel. Pay attention to their marriage. Don't just listen to someone talk about Jesus. Watch how they actually follow Jesus. Many voices today sound wise, but far fewer are actually living wisely. One of the easiest ways you can tell that someone is operating not in the wisdom from above, but the wisdom from below is that their lives are marked by bitter jealousy. You might remember from week one of this message series that James is writing to believers who were scattered all across the world because they were facing persecution. They're facing opposition to their faith. 
And you would think that something like this would really cause people to band together and unite together and, and to put the secondary disagreements to the side. But apparently, even the first century church, the people who were closest to the earthly ministry of Jesus, they faced the same temptations towards jealousy and selfish ambition that plague us today. And man, few things can cause greater relational strife among believers than jealousy. Even as Christians, we can be jealous of another person's gifting. We, we can be jealous of a person's, uh, the amount of uh, attention that they receive. We might be jealous of the opportunities that they get. And we're especially prone to jealousy when it involves somebody who has similar giftings and passions that we do. If it's somebody who's gifted the way we are is pursuing similar goals, we can easily find ourselves jealous of this person. And man, I, I'm no exception to this whatsoever. Pastors face the temptation to be jealous all the time. I remember you know, these, these years that our church was portable, and we're meeting in all these different places and having to set up and break down every single week. And, and anytime I visited a church that had its own facility, I'd be like, you have no idea what you have here. Right? Like just in my heart, it was like, man, I want this so bad. What we're tired of having to set up all these chairs and unload these trailers and do all this stuff every single week and wonder week to week, do we have a place to meet? Do we not have a place to meet? I actually have a friend who planted a church in the upstate area about two years after our church got started. And their church had actually gotten off to a little bit of a slow start and struggled along a little bit. But over the course of their first few years, they were donated not just one, but two church buildings. And, and, and so like they, they had a place to meet and then another church was struggling and decided to close the doors. They're like, hey, we don't know what to do with this building. We're just gonna give it to you. And, and I remember like be, meeting with a group of pastors where he shared like, man, somebody just gave us a second building and we don't have one yet. And I don't know what my face was saying in that moment, <laughs> but it, in, my, in my heart, I'm just like, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> Praise God. And, and th this is the bad thing, guys, is like at that point in time, all this property had already been donated to us. Like the Lord had provided an incredible way. But because he had something that I wanted and didn't yet have, it caused jealousy in my heart. And, and here's what we have to recognize about jealousy. Every single time you and I respond in jealousy to what somebody else has, what we functionally tell the Lord in that moment is, you're not enough for me. Jealousy comes from a discontented heart that lacks satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Every time we're jealous over another brother or sister, we're jealous over another ministry, we're jealous over another church, what we functionally tell the Lord in that moment is, you are not enough for me. We're not content with what we have in Jesus. We're not content in what Jesus has given to us. We reject the perfect wisdom of God when we embrace bitter jealousy in our hearts. And church, bitter hearts don't produce wise words. When you see someone operating in jealousy, you can be confident they're living in the wisdom from above. So we reject the wisdom from below because it's marked by bitter jealousy. We also see in verse 14 that it will promote selfish disunity. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. This is what James is addressing here. Don't miss this this morning. Jealousy will not just make you internally bitter. Jealousy will make you relationally destructive. Because when we lack contentment for what we don't have, what we'll end up doing is running other people over in order to get what we want. So from that place of dissatisfaction, from that place of discontentment where we, we can't just be simply happy for the way God has provided for others, we will sometimes, even in the name of pursuing good things, use sinful means to accomplish what we believe God wants us to do. I think one of the greatest needs in our generation, it, it is a, 
recovery for healthy ambition. Ambition has gotten a bit of, of a bad rap in recent years. You know, we see abuses of authority and we've kind of got celebrity culture and big platform culture. And, and so there's, there's concerns, sometimes rightfully so, when we hear people talk about big ambitions for the kingdom. Because it's very, very easy to say we're doing something for Jesus when reality is we're doing it for ourselves. And it's something we have to constantly be on guard against. But I do believe one of the greatest needs of our generation, it is a recovery of holy, godly ambition where we really are running hard after everything that the Lord wants us to have. And the resolve to pursue everything that the Lord wants us to have and to experience in our relationship with him. And so so let's not throw ambition out the window. It's possible to have holy ambition. But if we're not careful Sometimes we can even run after good things, after good opportunities, but do it in ways that are displeasing to the Lord. So how can we tell the difference between holy ambition, between godly ambition and selfish ambition? Here's a few distinctions for us. Selfish ambition is marked by relational division. Godly ambition is marked by relational cohesion. We strive to work together. Selfish ambition likes to work in the secrecy of the dark. Godly ambition operates in the transparency of the light. Selfish ambition is marked by careless whispers, and godly ambition is marked by careful words. Selfish ambition divides the church when personal preferences are not met. Godly ambition sacrifices personal preference for the greater good of the unity of the church. Ultimately, selfish ambition seeks the glory of man, And godly ambition seeks the glory of God. James warns us in verse 15, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, he says, let's call this what it is. Don't boast and be false to the truth. You you can say you're chasing a good thing all you want. You can say you're chasing after something that's good and holy and righteous and just, but if the reality is you're actually being driven by jealousy, you're actually being driven by selfish ambition, you're actually pursuing your glory and not God's glory, James says you just need to call that what it is. This is the deception of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition's stated goal is the pursuit of what is good and righteous and just, but selfish ambition's means are bitterness and division and strife. And James explicitly says it here in verse 15, you cannot try to mask bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. You can do that all you want, but that is not the wisdom that comes from above. If we're being driven by jealousy, if we're being driven by selfishness, that's not coming from beloved. He says that type of wisdom is earthly, which means that it's totally unspiritual, which means it's also demonic. So follow James here. He's saying when we operate in jealousy, when we operate in selfish ambition among the body of believers, in that moment, guys, we are literally doing the work of demons. The point, like Satan's like, I don't even need to send anybody there. Like they got plenty of people who are doing that work for me. And so we have to keep our ambitions in check. We have to be so, so careful that what we're running after together as individuals or as a church, whatever we want for, uh, to be accomplished for the kingdom, that we not just use the end to justify the means. We, we can't just say we're running after something that's good and then employ methods and means that run over people in the process. Running after the glory of God does not mean we are free to run over people to get there. God does not just care about the end. God also cares about the means. So we can't allow these things to exist. Here's a simple way to test the integrity of a person's ambition. Don't just ask the question, what battle is this person fighting? Ask the question, what weapons is this person using? 
we do not use the weapons of sin to fight the battles of the Spirit. We cannot just simply say we're chasing after God's glory and then run over the very people who are made in his image to get there. James warns in verse 14, where selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So it's marked by bitter jealousy. It promotes selfish disunity. We see in verse 14, it will promote or create missional hostility. That this is the end game. Whenever we're driven by jealousy, we're driven by selfishness, ultimately what it serves to do is disrupt the unity of the church, which hinders us in our effectiveness and mission. It's interesting if you read the pastoral epistles, the letters that Paul wrote, First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus, if you look at the most frequent warning that Paul gives in those letters, it's actually not about the false teachers who are trying to corrupt the church. It's, not, it's actually not about the dangers of, of, of stumbling into personal sin and sexual sin and like all those big things. That's not Paul's repeated warning. The one warning Paul actually repeats most to Timothy and Titus in those three letters is the warning against divisive, quarrelsome people who have an unhealthy appetite for conflict and controversy. It's one of the most disruptive patterns that can be involved in any local church, in any assembly of believers. So it's something we always have to be looking at ourselves and asking ourselves, am I really working together for the unity of the body or is what I'm running after here personally causing division that's making us ineffective in our mission? There's a, a powerful example of this um, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel 15, David is king, and David has a son named Absalom. And what is Absalom driven by? He's driven by bitter jealousy, and he's driven by what? Selfish ambition. And so this is what Absalom used to do. He wanted his father's throne. He wanted to be king. And, and so what Absalom would do is he would literally stand by the city gate. He would just hang out by the city gate. And when people came from other cities, like they had a case that they needed the king to hear or they needed a judge uh, to make some sort of ruling on, somebody would come through the gate and Absalom would just be looking all innocent. He'd say, hey, where, where, do you, where do you come from? And they'd say where they come from. And he'd say, well, what, what brings you here today? And they would say, well, I need the king to hear this case. I need a judge to give a ruling in, in this case. And this is what Absalom would do. And he'd say, well, unfortunately... This king isn't really concerned about those things. This king has not appointed anyone to rule your case. But then he'd, he'd kind of cozy up. He'd say, but I'll tell you what, if I was king, if I was king, I'd hear your case. I'd give you the justice that you deserve. And over time, what happens? He, he kind of cultivates this following. There's a group of people that are loyal to him. He kind of self-declared as king. Absalom eventually gets what he wants. But at the end, it doesn't just cost him the throne it cost him his life. And church, th this is the warning for us this morning. If you allow yourself to be driven by jealousy, if you allow yourself to be driven by selfish ambition, it will cost you every relationship at your job. It'll cost you every relationship at home. It will cost you every relationship in the church. But more than that, it will cost you your life. The book of Proverbs tells us that envy is like rot in the bones. It's a destructive force from the inside out. So if we don't attack the roots of bitter jealousy in our hearts, that's gonna avalanche into selfish ambition in the church, which is going to lead to destruction in the body of believers that renders us ineffective in our mission. So we reject the wisdom from below. Now let's look at the opposite picture, verses 17 through 18. This is now the wisdom from above. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Listen to this promise. 
and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So it's simple for us this morning. God calls us to be people who reject the wisdom from below. And second, he calls us to be people who receive the wisdom from above. Reject the wisdom from below, receive the wisdom from above. Now, we can walk through this pretty quickly here for a couple of minutes because it's really simple. The wisdom from above is the complete opposite of the wisdom from below. And that's the picture that James paints for us here. Verses 17 through 18, we see that the wisdom from above has both an internal value and it has an external value. So internally, we see in verse 17, the wisdom from above is marked by godly purity. It's marked by godly purity. So again, it's the opposite of the wisdom from below. The wisdom from below is marked by bitter jealousy. Wisdom from above is marked by godly purity. The wisdom from above is first pure. We looked at this last week when we talked about the danger of, of the tongue and how an out-of-control mouth is evidence of an out-of-control heart. And then until you surrender your heart to Jesus, you're going to have a hard time surrendering your mouth to Jesus. So we, have to be, we, we, we are careful about what we say and how we say it, but we do that first by getting our hearts in check. And jealousy comes first and foremost from a bitter heart. Selfish ambition comes from corrupt desires. So before God's wisdom changes our actions, it has to transform our hearts. And it has to start here because until your heart has been purified by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, until you are being indwelt by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, your mouth and your desires and your ambitions, all of these things are going to run out of control in destructive ways. And a pure mission within the church begins with pure motivation in our hearts. So it's marked by godly purity. We also see opposite of the wisdom from below, it will promote relational unity. So again, opposite of the wisdom from below. The wisdom from below promotes selfish disunity. The wisdom from above promotes relational unity. Listen to what James lays out here in verses 17 through 18. This is the kind of person that we become when we receive the wisdom from above, when we live in the wisdom from above. Just imagine a church where every single person is marked by these things. They're peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, full of good fruit. They're impartial and they're sincere. It is the exact opposite of living in the wisdom from below. So as believers, instead of being hostile, we're called to be peaceable. Instead of being insensitive, we're called to be gentle. Instead of being irrational, driven by our emotions and our feelings, we're called to be people who are reasonable, open to reason. Instead of being full of judgment, we'll be full of mercy. Instead of living out the desires of the flesh, we'll walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Instead of playing favorites and giving preferential treatment only to people who can do good for us in return, we view every single person as being made in the image of God, and we love them and serve them regardless of what they have to give us in return. Instead of being superficial, we'll be sincere. The bottom line for us is this. We'll be people who say what we mean, and we'll be people who mean what we say. Just imagine this for a second for, for the morning ch church. Imagine coming into a room every single week. We gather into worship every single week. Imagine being able to do that with the confidence that every single person around you, every single person sitting beside you, sitting in front of you, sitting behind you, would always have your back. That they would always be eager to assume the best about you. 
to, to not throw you under the bus, that even when there are secondary disagreements and concerns, we work that out in the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. That This is one of the distinguishing markers of believers. Listen, it's, it's not that we're never gonna disagree. It's not that our convictions aren't sometimes gonna bounce against each other. It's not that our opinions are always gonna be the same. It's not that we're never gonna have moments when we see eye to eye. But as followers of Jesus, we model the gospel just as much in our disagreement as we do our agreement. And we have the opportunity to model to the watching world. Like, I do wonder sometimes if that's why God has not given us explicit clarity on every single thing we should be doing as a church. Almost so that we could walk together in the clear things he's called us to do and then model to the world how to graciously disagree on the things where we might not see eye to eye. So how, how can we do this? Like how can we continually put our selfish ambitions to the side, put our bitter jealousy to the side so that we can keep our eyes laser focused on Jesus and his mission? That's what the wisdom from above does for us. We see in verse 18 that it also creates missional clarity. It creates missional clarity. When we put jealousy to the side and our hearts have been purified by the gospel, when we put our selfish ambitions to the side and we're walking in unity as brothers and sisters in Jesus, even in spite of some disagreements that we might have, what it does is it creates missional clarity in the body. We're not getting pulled away constantly by secondary, superficial, completely inconsequential in eternity things so that we can continue pursuing what God has called us to pursue as his people. Uh, one of the greatest examples, I think, of church unity that's ever been known in church history um, was at Charles Spurgeon's Metropolitan Tabernacle when he was preaching in London in the, in the 19th century. Um, Spurgeon had this massive church, you know, about uh, upwards of 10,000 people would pack into uh, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And this was a day like pre-amplification, which is pretty crazy, right? Um, you know, back in those days, the way they could determine if somebody could preach in the tabernacle is they would measure the size of their chest. So your boy was straight out of luck if I wanted to preach uh, in, in, in the 1800s at the Met. At the Met. And, and so, you know, Spurgeon was this big, burly guy. I mean, he could just belt out these sermons. And thousands of people would pack into the Metropolitan Tabernacle every single week to hear the gospel being proclaimed. But if you ask Charles Spurgeon where the power of the church is, he wouldn't tell you that it was in the pulpit from where he was preaching on Sunday morning. What he would do is he would take you to a room underneath the Metropolitan Tabernacle, a room he called the Boiler Room. And what you would find for hours before their worship services and throughout the duration of their worship services would be seven or 800 people on their knees in prayer. Now, you, you think there weren't some people in that room that occasionally weren't like, why can't I go to service today? Why do I, why do I gotta be back here? Why do I gotta be underneath here? No, 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 no. That's, that's putting preference to the side and saying, I have Jesus they don't. So the better use of my time today is not hearing Spurgeon preach on things I've probably heard him say a hundred times before. Better use of my time today is to get on my knees and to cry out to God and beg that those people up there will find what I have found in him. Church, that, that's, that's the unity of the church. It's, it's when we can put our, our secondary desires to the side and may, maybe Sunday doesn't always look like the way that we want it to and we're not experiencing it the way that we wish we could experience it. But as people who have found Jesus Christ, listen, when you are truly content in all that you have in Jesus, it's easy for you to kind of put to the side things that are maybe a little bit different than what we thought it would be. 
And this is the promise that we get in verse 18 of those who choose to operate in this way, that if we will walk together in peace and harmony as a body of believers, this is what's promised in verse 18. It says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That is God's promise from this passage this morning. God's promise to us is a harvest of righteousness. If we will operate in the wisdom that comes from God and if we will reject the wisdom of this world, if we have pure hearts and we're working together as a body of believers and we are laser focused on the mission that God has given us, what's promised to us is a harvest of righteousness sown in peace. You know, ultimately, we are called to seek wisdom as believers because we, we saw back earlier in James chapter one that if we lack wisdom, we can ask of God and what will God do? He'll give it to us. Wisdom is something God is eager to give to us. He's eager for us to know what we want to do, but wisdom from God is not just a set of principles. The fullness of the wisdom of God is his son, Jesus Christ. God has not just given us a book full of principles. He sent us a person He sent us his son, Jesus. So seeking wisdom then is not just to seek good advice and good morals and good principles. To seek wisdom is to seek Jesus. And we want to be people who are seeking Jesus. So what I want to do as we we wrap up this morning, is shift gears here a little bit to talk about what's coming for us in the year ahead. We want to be people who are seeking the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Who are not just seeking his gifts, but be people who are truly seeking God. I want to um, give a little bit of a backdrop here. For those of you who might be new with us, this might be helpful for you to help you understand a little bit of where we've been. um, And then, by God's grace, where we hope to go. um, But what we absolutely want to be marked by every step of the way, regardless of the season that we are in. We held our first public worship gathering at Buford High School, January 22nd, 2017. And then it feels like we have honestly just been sprinting ever since. Um, It feels like nothing has slowed down. Everything has only started to to speed up. And, you know, for the next 18 months, we met at Buford High School. That uh, summer of 2018, we had to move to Islands Academy, the Buford County School District. Who survived that summer, by the way? Yeah, y'all deserve this building. Amen. Like, no AC in that little gym for the summer. And um, so we were there for a few weeks, went back to the high school for a few weeks. We moved to the YMCA five years ago this month. And with the instability of constantly having to move, we saw early on, we need to be really proactive about taking steps so that one day we will have a permanent home. So that fall and in the spring of 2019, we rolled out a campaign called For the Gospel. Um, because regardless of what we're pursuing as a church, we always want to keep at the forefront preaching the gospel and making disciples. Those are the five words that you see when you walk in this building every single week. We always want that to be our focus and our vision. And so we laid out uh, what we believe would be a multi-phase campaign. Um, Phase one is is what you're sitting in right now. Um, But ultimately, we actually have a a greater long-term desire for this facility. We laid out a a phase one facility that kind of got us into a permanent home and then eventually would pursue a phase two facility that would be our separate worship and kids ministry area. And long-term, our vision for this building that you're in right now, the reason it's built the way that it's built, the reason it's structured the way that it is, uh, we want to see this building being used uh, on a daily basis for ministry training. We want to train up the next generation of pastors and worship leaders and missionaries and church planters and send them out from our own walls. Uh, We want to see this space being used as a biblical counseling center. We have right now about a dozen
dozen people who are pursuing certification in biblical counseling because now more than ever, there is a desperate need in this community and beyond uh, for sound wisdom according to, the, according to God's word. And, and so we want to facilitate that, want to provide that. Long term, we want to see this building being used as our primary student ministry space. We say without reservation, we are asking the Lord for a day. We're crying out to God for a day. We're on Wednesday nights. This room where you're sitting right now is packed with four or 500 middle school and high school students who are part of a movement of God in their schools and their generation. And that's what we're aiming for as a body of believers. That's our vision for this building long-term. And when we rolled this out, you know, we thought, hey, we'd do this for a few years, then a a phase two would be later down the road. And it's become clear to us after even just one summer here, uh, that second phase is going to come at us a lot faster than we ever expected. And so those conversations already had, some plans are being laid down. But as exciting as all of that is, here's the challenge that we face in the midst of it. My fear is that we could get so locked into the mechanics and the machinery and the monotony of just kind of doing church on a weekly basis, that we miss God. My, my, my fear is that we could get so focused on pursuing, we're good ambitions, ways that we believe God really wants to work and move and, and build his church in this community. My fear is that we could get so locked in on pursuing what God wants that we fail to actually pursue God. And so as we see all this coming at us, this is what our leadership has been burdened for in recent months. Um, a couple, over the last couple months, I've met with our elder team, I've met with our staff and several of you as, as key leaders. And, and we just ask a really simple question. Knowing where we have been and knowing what is coming at us now a lot faster than what we ever expected to be, what would it look like for us to devote a significant period of time at the beginning of 2024 to shutting down all of our regular ministry operations to facilitate an environment where we can just pursue the Lord with all of our hearts? And just ask them that question. So what would it look like for our congregation to intensively seek the Lord together for the period of a full week? And so what we want to lay out to you this morning and go ahead and put on your radar for several weeks down the road is what we are calling Seek Week. And this is what we hope to be maybe one of many Seek Weeks in the future, a week where we kick off our year by fully consecrating ourselves to the Lord and setting ourselves apart for his purposes and for his glory. And so let me lay out for you really, really briefly what's going to happen over the period of a couple of weeks. Um, this is from Hebrews 11.6. This is on the back of your worship guide, by the way, if you have that this morning. The verses that really shape Seek Week for us come from Hebrews 11 and Psalm 105. Hebrews 11 reminds us, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so we claim that promise. God rewards those who seek him. This is what's incredible about being you know, new covenant believers is we know we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And so in that sense, God is present with us at all times. And yet through scripture, we are still called to seek him and to pursue his presence. And so if he rewards those who seek him, we feel like the appropriate response is Psalm 105 verse 4. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. So our, our aim for Seek Week is really, really simple. And every single one of these words have been chosen with great intentionality. Our aim with Seek Week as a church is a radical restructuring of our ministry efforts around the continual pursuit of the presence of God. That is what we're running after. We want to bring everything to a screeching halt. No more ambitions right now. Pausing where we've been. Taking account of where we are and just seeking the Lord and begging him to show us what he wants for us next. If you're new with us, understand this as a church, we've never had growth goals. 
There's never been like a magic number that we're chasing after. We don't fire staff if they're not hitting attendance marks on a weekly basis. We're not seeking buildings. We're not seeking a bigger budget. We're not seeking to be a big church. Cross community church is seeking Jesus. That's what we're running after. That's who we're running after. And that's what we're pursuing. Anybody who wants to be a part of that can jump into that. But we are seeking him. And we wanna make sure that even as we pursue good things, what we believe are wise and holy ambitions, we are keeping Jesus Christ at the forefront of everything that we do. And so here's, here's what we're gonna do for a period of a couple weeks. For the first week, we're gonna enter into a period of just pure consecration, just preparing our hearts and setting, our, setting, ourselves, setting ourselves apart to be used by the Lord. So December 31st, New Year's Eve, uh, we'll have family worship gatherings that morning. That's a, fi- uh, uh, that's a month of the fifth Sunday. So elementary kids will be in this room. Uh, Dave Eatman is gonna be preaching that morning December from Acts chapter one of how the believers just waited on the promise of the Holy Spirit as they uh, prepared for the day of Pentecost and the, the explosion of the church. And so Dave will preach that morning from Acts one. Then on New Year's Eve, this is not a typo on the screen or in your worship guide, we're gonna come back in this room at 11 p.m. and we are gonna ring in the new year together as a church family on our knees crying out to God begging him to move. That's gonna kick off for us 24 consecutive hours of prayer happening in this facility. And there's gonna be a sign up that goes out for that in a couple of weeks where for the first 24 hours of 2024, we're gonna come in here and we're gonna seek the Lord in prayer. Every morning that week, uh, you'll have the opportunity to receive devotional content, scripture and reflections um, that prepare your heart for what we're anticipating the following week. We're gonna be challenging our congregation until noon every day that week to fast from food if you're physically able to do that and to seek the Lord in prayer. When you feel that hunger pain, to instead cry out to God from the hunger of your soul. And that's what we're gonna do for the first week. It's just a setting ourselves apart. It's a preparing of our hearts, a preparing of our minds for what we anticipate the Lord desires to do. Then Seek Week will actually officially kick off on January 7th. So again, that morning we'll have our regular worship gatherings. That night we're gonna come back together for a night of prayer and worship. Now I'm just curious, how many of you were here for prayer and worship a couple of weeks ago? Ask the people in this room, just something a little bit different in the air that night is we, we got on our knees together and we prayed for our church, we prayed for our community and we worshiped the Lord. We were here for two hours and it felt like we were here for about five minutes. And we wanna enter into that. We wanna lead you into that. And then at nine o'clock that night, just as we uh, desire to simply hear from God through his word and to seek him and to seek his will and his direction, uh, at nine o'clock that night, we're gonna kick off from this spot right here for the next, what we think will be about 72 consecutive hours, a public reading of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And you're gonna have the opportunity to sign up together in shifts. And sometimes you might be reading to a room full of 100. Sometimes you might be reading in a room where you're here by yourself. The point is, we're gonna have an environment where you can simply come in this room and you can pray and all you are going to hear is the voice of God through his word as you seek him in prayer. That week, we're gonna challenge community groups to regularly get together exclusively for the purpose of prayer. Prayer walk your neighborhood, prayer walk the community. Seek those who are far from Jesus. Invite them into what the Lord's doing because beginning Thursday night of that week, so uh, Thursday through Sunday evening, every single night we're gonna gather together for worship services where we're gonna invite guest speakers who are gonna come in and challenge us as a church to seek the Lord. And so we'll come together, there will be worship, there will be a message, but then it's just gonna lead into open-ended prayer and praise for as long as the Lord leads us into every night. And then we'll begin to close things out Sunday morning our regular worship services, and then we'll come back that night for uh, celebrating baptism and hearing testimonies of how the Lord has moved in the previous two weeks. Now, I say all of that, and your faces are glazed over. You're like, that's a lot. 
It's a lot. And these are those moments um, I just I always feel the need sometimes to say, say, hey, I, I am, we, we, are, we, are, we are one of you as well. We got three little boys. They, they go to school. They got activities. The busyness of life doesn't stop. We know this. And what we just realized as leadership is we're like, there's never going to be a quote-unquote good time to do this. What we are saying to the Lord in this week is we are inviting the Lord. Interrupt us. Make us slam the brakes on everything else. Help me to get my priorities back in line in seeking you. Interrupt us. Disrupt my schedule. Disrupt my patterns. Disrupt my rhythms. Disrupt my routines. We, we want to invite the disruption. What we want to say to the Lord for the, a period of a whole week is just to say, Lord, we're, we're here. We are here and we're seeking you. And if nothing else, our goal from this week is that you and I would walk away with a greater orientation of our lives around a continual awareness of the presence of God in our hearts. That we as a church would be renewed and we would be strengthened. Whatever our next is, as a facility, that's all completely secondary to this. As far as I'm concerned, for Cross Community Church, our next is revival. Our next is spiritual awakening. Our, Our next is running after the Lord until he breaks through in this community in a way that this community has never seen before. We, we are bold in that ambition. We believe that God can still do the extraordinary things in our day that he used to do at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in the 19th century that he did in the book of Acts and in fact can do things even greater. We believe these things. And so we, we invite you. That This is what we're at. I know you'll have a million questions about this and logistics and details. That's all coming in about two weeks. This is what I really want you to do for about two weeks is just to kind of sit on this and say, Lord, what do you want from me? Prepare your heart. Prepare your mind. Ask the Lord to break down barriers of doubt and barriers of cynicism, barriers of unbelief. Because I'll, I'll just be honest with you guys. Like, There's part of me that looks at all this and says, this is a little crazy. And I think we could use a little bit of crazy. I think we could use a little bit of crazy. I think our community could use watching a group of people run after Jesus with everything that we are. We seek the wisdom from above because wisdom for the believer in Jesus Christ is not just a set of principles, it's a person. So I'm gonna close with these words from A.W. Tozer. This is really the heartbeat behind Seek Week. He once wrote, I want the presence of God himself, or I don't want anything to do with religion. I want all that God has, or I don't want any. And so that's what our heartbeat is in all this, is to say, Lord, we are not content with buildings. We're not content with growing budgets. We're not content with high attendance. We want you. We want him, and we're not going to settle for anything less. So will you bow your heads with me as we close our time together this morning? In just a moment, we'll take communion together. Communion is our reminder that God held nothing back from us. He desires for us to experience the fullness of his presence through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. God wants a lot more for us than most of us want for ourselves. And he will give us everything that we could possibly desire by giving us Jesus. And listen, until you you have him, And until you know you have them, you're going to be jealous. You've got destructive patterns in your life. It's not going to work out in the church. You're going to constantly butt heads with someone. But if we'll submit ourselves to his refining work, 
if we'll submit ourselves to the progressive sanctification of the Holy Spirit working within us to make us more like Jesus every day, if we'll set aside our, our selfish ambitions, our personal preferences to run after him, a harvest of righteousness is what's waiting us on the other side. And so before we come to the table this morning, I would just encourage you, are, are there ways you are living according to the wisdom of the world and it's just got your heart, it's, it's messing up your relationships, it's causing a, a weird relationship with the church even? Are, are there ways you're operating in the wisdom of the world? And I would just encourage you, just take a moment to lay that at the feet of Jesus. Let's do the work of confession and of repentance and asking the Lord for renewed desires and holy ambitions. So Father, as we partake this morning of the bread and of the cup and as we remember Jesus, help us to remember that you desire for us to know you in your fullness. May you be our only ambition. May Jesus be our glory. Let his glory be our reward. Let him be enough in our hearts. Father, we lay this before you this morning. Prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, prepare our church for what you have to come. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.